Um, let me ask you a question. What is or what was the most pivotal moment of your life? Think about that for a moment. I'm sure we can probably think of three, four, five of them. Most pivotal moment. Um, for me, without a doubt, the most pivotal moment of my life. And it's funny, as I look back, it seems to be even more pivotal each and every single day. But it was this day, it was in the summer. I had graduated from high school. I was getting ready to go to college. Um, being honest, I felt like just I, I was at the crossroads of my life, having no idea where I wanted to go, what I wanted to do. And a friend of mine, um, uh, invited me and a, several other friends to come over to her house. And she said, hey, come over. We're, we're going to hang out. And, um, and, and then we're going to go to this church group afterwards. And so um, I said, okay, that sounds great. And so I got done working and went over and, and had a blast. And they said, okay, it's, we're going to go to this church group. And so um, we go to this church up in the Kirkland area. And um, as I'm there... Um, the preacher is preaching, but I don't know if you've had one of these moments before where just this moment where I felt like the Lord was just like, you and I need to talk here. And part of it had to do with me feeling like I was at this crossroads of my life, not knowing what was next for me and having a hard time with the season of transition I was in. And up until that point, my faith journey had been a faith that had more to do with my head than it did with my heart. And what I mean by that is my faith for me was something I believed in my head, but I wasn't living out in my heart. And I felt like the Lord just literally said to me, when are you going to surrender your life to me? And that was this pivotal moment where I said, okay, Lord, clearly my way is not going that well here. I will surrender everything to you. Let, let, let's try this out. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever done this. You're like, okay, Lord, I'll try you out. We'll, we'll give this a try. Anybody try that out? And it was literally this moment like, okay, Lord, fine. You win. I want to do this your way. Let's try this out. Jesus, I surrender everything I have to you. And for the next few weeks of my life, everything began to drastically change in my life. And here's what I found. And here's what happened to me. I realized that Jesus is better than everything. And then on top of that, I was beginning to realize that not only is Jesus better than everything, but Jesus makes everything better. Not easier. <gasps> For sure, not easier. But Jesus is not only better, but Jesus makes everything better. He made my work life better. He made my attitude better. He made my friendships better. He made my decision-making better. He made the path for my life way better. And it was the most pivotal moment of my life where I realized, Jesus, you are better than everything, and you make everything better. I am yours. I'm all in. Let's go. And it happened because a friend said to me, hey, why don't you just come over to my house, and then why don't you come 
to, to church with me. And I just, I, I wonder, like God is sovereign. He knows he's going to get me to where he wants me to go when he wants me to get there. But I, but I think back, what would have happened if that friend didn't invite me? That was such a significant moment. And it started with a friend saying, hey, would you, would you come to church? And right now we're kind of getting to the end. Next week will be the last week where we do this. But um, we're in this series called Made for a Mission. And, and it's a series that God has made us for this mission not just to believe in the incredible good news of Jesus Christ and, and to be saved and to have salvation, but we were made for the mission to actually go and share the good news of the gospel with other people, with people in your life that don't know Christ, with neighbors, with coworkers, with friends, with family, with strangers. You were made for the mission of sharing the gospel. And we've been talking specifically the last four weeks. I focused on four different tools, just just practical tools that you and I can use to go and share the gospel in a way that's kind, that's gracious, that's not weird. And so we've talked about just a clear way of presenting the gospel, that, that first tool that we called it the three circles of the gospel, sharing, just having a very clear way to present the gospel with someone just, hey, this is the gospel. Here's what it means and here's how it can change your life. And, and then we talked about the power of prayer. It's probably the most effective way for us to share the gospel with others. Just start by praying for them, praying for their hearts, praying that God would open the door for you to share the gospel, praying that they would come to know the gospel. And then the third tool we talked about is just share your story. Amen. If you have a story of Jesus changing your life, anybody? It, okay. Wow. Not. Amen. If you, come on, y'all. Amen. I know I do. And using that, go and share how much Jesus has done for you with others. And, and then the last tool that we, this is the one we talked about last week, is just turning everyday conversations to gospel conversations. Turning an everyday conversation about something deeper than something like sports, and there's nothing wrong with talking about sports, or something deeper than how's the weather and what you're doing on vacation, but talking about the deeper things of life, because people are hungry for that, and, and helping people see the gospel, just turning everyday conversations to gospel conversations. And today I want to talk about a simple tool called come and see. Just come and see. Um, of all the tools that we've talked about in sharing the gospel, I think this is the easiest one. This is just like easy, easy, so easy, because it's basically three words, come and see. Just, so you might do a version of that, come check it out, or try this. It's the easiest of the tools. And I want you to see that we find this tool in John's gospel, John chapter one. And, and here's what I want to do. I just want to read through this passage verse by verse. And I want to end by just making two major observations and, and kind of with that, two applications with it. So I, I'm in John chapter 1, and, and I'm going to look at verse 35 all the way to verse 51. Um, before we do, I think it'd be uh, appropriate for me to pray for us. Father God, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that the gospel is the good news um, 
that we are saved, the good news that our salvation is secure, the good news that our sins are forgiven, the good news, Jesus, that you are alive and you are leading us and interceding for us. And this good news, it needs to be heard. People need to hear this. Um, and so, Lord, would you give us the courage and the boldness to share it? Lord, would you, would you speak to us tonight? As we look at your word, we, we believe that your word is powerful and active and sharper than any sword there is, and it can really speak to us, and we ask that it would do just that. Pray these things, and everybody said really loudly, amen. amen. So John is writing this, um, the Gospel of John. John wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and he also wrote the book of Revelation. And in verse 35, it says, the next day, again, John, now this is John the Baptist he's talking about, John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples, two of his disciples, and you might be wondering, what are the names of these two disciples? We're going to learn that one of the names of these disciples is a guy named Andrew. That might be familiar, because Andrew becomes a disciple of Jesus. The other of the two here is unnamed. We don't know who it is, but most people speculate that the other disciple is, is John the Apostle himself. Now, John when he became a, he ends up becoming a disciple of Jesus. He's the youngest of all the 12 disciples, John the Apostle. John was probably a teenager um, when he began to follow Jesus. And so John the Baptist, it says he's standing there. He's got um, two of his disciples next to him. One of them is for sure Andrew. Maybe the next one is, is John. And in verse 36, and it says, he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following him um, and said to them, what are you seeking? I, I always imagined what this moment must have been like. Do, do you hear this playing out? You got John the Baptist. He's standing there. The passage before this is John the Baptist baptizing Jesus. Um, and, and so John you know, has got two of his disciples, and he says, Behold, it's the Lamb of God. Translation, this is the Messiah. This is the one that has been spoken about in the Old Testament, the prophets, and he is the Lamb of God, the one who is going to sacrifice his life so that we don't have to sacrifice lambs anymore to get right with God. He's going to sacrifice himself. And so the two disciples, Andrew and maybe it's John, hear this and they say, huh, let's start stalking, I mean following Jesus. But you get this sense, right? Like they start following him and they have to wait for Jesus to say something to them. And so they're just walking along and I wonder if Andrew is going, you say something to him. And John's going, well, you're older, well, you're younger. I mean, they're just maybe arguing with each other. Who's going to talk to Jesus first? And so Jesus breaks the silence, turns around. Hey, well, what, are you, what are you guys seeking? I don't get the tone in here. That's one thing that we have to make up as we read. We, we don't get the tone. Like, I don't know if Jesus is like, all right, guys, what do you want? Like, really, what do you want? You've been following me for like six blocks now. What's happening? I wonder if it's a bit gracious. Like, hey, what are you guys seeking? I wonder if Jesus turns around like, got you. You know, I, I, th we don't get that sense here. All we know is Jesus says, hey, guys, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Which is basically like, 
um, can we hang out with you? Can we come over to your house? They're like totally inviting themselves over. And Jesus says, absolutely not, get away from me. No, he does not say that at all. He said, come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. 10th hour, that, that's about 4 p.m. our time. One of the two disciples who heard John speak followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Now, I just want to stop here for a moment. They spend the day with Jesus. As I was reading this passage this week, I thought to myself, man, to spend a day with Jesus. But then I realized, like, I can, Jesus is with me. I just just spend time, anytime I want with him. When's the last time you spent some quality time with Jesus? When's the last time you spent a chunk of time praying in God's word, journaling, just really spending time with the Lord. Look what, look what happens next. It says, um, it says, for Andrew was Simon Peter's brother. Verse 41, he first found his own brother, Simon. He first found, so there's a, kind of a sense of urgency here. He first found his brother, Peter, first found his brother, um, brother Simon, and he said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And, and here's what I love. Andrew is so fired up with this time that he gets to spend with Jesus that he can't wait to go tell his brother. He just can't wait. And it got me thinking, what if what keeps us from sharing Jesus with others is our own level of excitement about Jesus? Um, There's a place where Jesus says, Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, the things that fills our heart, the things that excites us, the things that we're pumped up about, that's the kind of stuff that comes out of our mouth, right? And for Andrew, his heart is filled with such wonder and such awe of how just incredible Jesus is. He can't help but go and tell Jesus, go and tell his brother Simon about Jesus. I don't know about you. I want to be like that. I want to be constantly overflowing in my heart with a love and a passion for Jesus that I can't help but go tell other people about him. It just comes from my heart. But I, th- I think that requires spending time with Jesus. So up until this point, I want you to follow the chain reaction here. John the Baptist tells his two disciples, one of them being Andrew, see Jesus, that is the Messiah. 
which makes Andrew go to Jesus, and he sees Jesus is all he cracks up to be. Now, Andrew then goes and tells his brother Simon about this Jesus. Did did you catch that? John basically says, see, come and see, or in John's case, John is saying, go and see. Andrew goes and sees Jesus, and then he goes to his brother and says, you got to come and you got to see. And we don't hear much about Simon Peter's reaction other than he gets a name change, so it must be pretty significant, right? Look what happens next and see if you can follow this pattern. The next day, so literally the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip. Now circle the word he. You might go, who's the he here? He found, and you might think it's Jesus because that's what the previous sentence was about, but let's keep reading. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and who? Peter. So now you have Andrew and Peter saying, Jesus, you got to come and meet this guy, Philip. You have, you have Peter coming to Philip and saying, you got to come and see this Jesus. Let's keep going. Verse 45, Philip found Nathanael. So apparently Philip meets Jesus. We don't hear much about how that went, but we're going to see it went quite well. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we, circle the word we, we have found him. Now, the we here is who? Is him and Peter. So so just in case you're missing this, John says, look at Jesus, go check him out. Andrew goes and checks out Jesus and realizes he's the real deal and goes to his brother and says, you need to come and check out this Jesus. Peter comes to Jesus, realizes Jesus is the real deal, and then goes to Philip and and says, you got to come and see this Jesus. He's the real deal. And Philip comes to Jesus, sees Jesus is the real deal, and goes to another guy named Nathaniel. Do you see like all of this in two days worth of time here, guys? And, And Philip says to Nathanael, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's like, you know, (laughs) can anything good come out of, and you know the city, right? I was about ready to say it, but some of you live there, so I won't say it. But can anything good come out of Never mind. I'm going to stop right here, guys. I got some good ones. I'm going to hold back. You'd laugh, but some of you would not. It's at Ravensdale. Thank you. Can anything good come out of Ravensdale? Hillary, you come from Ravensdale. That is one thing. Now, I want you to notice something. I want you to notice what Philip says. I think Philip, okay, this is me just making this up a little bit. I wonder if Philip is 
not doing a perfect job describing who Jesus is. Why do I say that? Because we have found the one in whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. So he's saying, we have found the Messiah. And and instead of saying, we have found the Messiah, he says, we have found Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Now, Nathaniel's going, who in the world is Joseph? And Nazareth? What does Nazareth have to do with the Messiah? The Messiah was born in Bethlehem. The Messiah is supposed to be the son of David. And I wonder, here's what I wonder. I wonder if Philip, you ever done this before where you try and tell someone about Jesus and they're like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm not, I'm not necessarily getting it. And I think that's kind of one of those moments here where, where Philip is trying to tell him about Jesus and who Jesus is and that Jesus is the Messiah, but he's not doing a really good job. What he should have, son is, should have said is, we have found Jesus born in Bethlehem. Remember that prophecy? The son of David. Remember all those prophecies that he was supposed, he's gonna, the Messiah is going to be the son of David. He doesn't do any of those. And so Nathaniel's like, what are you talking about? You are not convincing at all. What good can come from Nazareth? Nazareth did not have a great reputation, as you can tell. And I love Philip's response. What does he say? Come and see. Listen, bro, before I, I, just, hey, just come and see. Because Andrew went and saw, it changed his life. Peter went and saw, changed his life and his name. I came and saw, changed my life. I want you to come and see what happens. And so Nathaniel's coming along, and he's probably like, Jesus, son of Joseph. Who is Joseph? Nazareth. (laughs) Nazareth is the worst. Like, what is he thinking? And so... They come and Jesus, it says, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, so this is Jesus speaking, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael's looking around and Nathanael said to him, how do you you know me? You don't know me. Jesus answered him, oh, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel said, Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see even greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Literally, Jesus is saying, you will see angels ascending and descending upon me. Now, just pause here for a moment. Did any of you catch that that was kind of weird? That Nathaniel goes from, Nazareth is the worst, to meeting Jesus and Jesus saying, oh, hey, you're an Israelite, there's no deceit in you, and Nathaniel's like, you You've never met in our lives. And Jesus says, oh, I saw you underneath the, 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 the fig tree before Philip called you. 
And Nathaniel, that's all he needs to hear. And he's like, oh, that's it. I'm all in. Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. I'm ready. Let's go. What just happened there? Did anybody think that that was a little weird? So there's a lot of speculation here. But most likely, here's what's happening. Um, In that day, fig trees were often a place Um, Again, you'd get some shade if there was a fig tree, but a fig tree was a place where um, Jewish, specifically boys or young men, would go under by themselves, and they would just go and they would meditate upon Scripture. It was a place of prayer. It was a place of just, for lack of better terms, getting alone with God. And so here you have Nathaniel under this fig tree. Maybe the branches are kind of coming down, and it's not like you can even see under the fig tree. And Nathaniel's under there. And Jesus sees him. Maybe not so much physically as much as spiritually. And so when Jesus comes to Nathaniel and says, How do I know you? Um, because I saw you. And what I want us to notice is that Nathaniel goes from absolutely unconvinced to absolutely astonished in who Jesus is. How? He met Jesus. That was it. And, and, and here are the two big observations I make as I read this passage. One the power of simply saying to someone, come and see. Five generations of Christians in about a 48-hour period. And every single one of them, their evangelistic tool of reaching somebody is, hey, you just got to see. I don't know. Just, just come and see. Come... Come to this church service. Listen to a sermon online. Here's a Bible. Just start in the book of Mark or start in the book of John. Just start reading and just see for yourself. Just, 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 just see. Come to a Bible study. Come to our community group. Listen, I'm not asking you to believe in Jesus. I'm just asking you to come and see. And that's exactly what they do. And here's the second observation is Jesus meets them where they're at. Jesus meets them where they're at. I think one of the things that we need to ingrain in our hearts about sharing the gospel is that God doesn't need you, but he chooses to use you. You don't save people, he saves people. You don't make the gospel powerful. The gospel is powerful. You don't make Jesus look perfect. Jesus is perfectly great at doing that himself. Now, this doesn't mean that that we should shy away from talking with other people about Jesus and who he is, but we need to understand that, guys, 
What if Jesus is already at work in the hearts of those in your life that don't know him? What if he already is? And all that needs to happen is for you to say, just come and see. Come check out this church. Go, go listen to a sermon online. Come to our community group. Just check it out. I, it doesn't matter if you don't believe in Jesus or you have questions. Just come and see. If anything, there's food there. Just come. Just come. Jesus has a way of meeting us where we are at. And that's exactly what he does for Andrew. That's exactly what he does for Peter. That's exactly what he does for Philip. That's exactly what he does for Nathaniel. And within a moment, they go, all right, Jesus, let, let's, let's go. Let's do this. But someone's got to share, right? It brings me back to that passage in Romans 10 where it says, how will they ever hear the gospel if no one is ever sent? How will people in your life that don't know the beauty of the gospel ever get to experience it if you don't invite them? And so I'll end with Romans 1.16. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is power of God for salvation. It is the power of God. The gospel is powerful. Not your words, not my words. The gospel is powerful for salvation for everyone who believes. Are we ashamed of the gospel or will we be bold enough to say to people, just come and see. Listen, just, you, just, you have to meet this Jesus. Come and see. Here's my Bible. Read it. Just see. Or will we be ashamed and, and go, I don't want to be looked at weird and I don't want to offend anybody. May we not be ashamed of the gospel. And may we just simply say, come, come and see that Jesus is better and will make everything better. Come and see. So let me just ask you this. Who in your life can you invite? Whether it's inviting them to a church service or whether it's inviting them to read a book of the Bible with you or inviting them to listen to a sermon online and maybe this week, you get the opportunity to simply say to someone, come and see. Let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you loved us so much that you sent your son Jesus to live the perfect life we needed to live, but then die the, the death we deserve to die. And that by trusting in Jesus, we are saved. I thank you that Jesus rose from the dead and is alive. I thank you that our lives are made new when we trust and surrender our lives to Christ. Lord, may we not be ashamed of this incredible good news of the gospel. May we not be ashamed of the gospel 
but may we believe that it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And may you give us opportunities all week long with people to simply say, come and see, just check it out. Just check out Jesus. Just try him out and see if he won't meet you exactly where you are at. And Lord, in our remaining time, would you fill our hearts? Would you stir our affections for you, Jesus? Just like you met Philip so personally under that fig tree, would you meet us in our time of worship? Minister to us, bless us, and lead us to be more like you. Amen.